since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too good to be true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, happy Monday. Welcome back. Okay, you guys, I feel like today's guest doesn't really need an intro because every time I asked you, whether that's on Sober Mom Life Instagram or my kind of sweet Instagram, who you want to hear on the podcast, this little lady was at the top of your list, Mallory Irvin. I absolutely adore her. She's from Kentucky. She lives in Nashville. She was in the Miss America pageant. She's a three-time contestant on The Amazing Race. And she has 
turned all of that and what she went through with substance abuse and recovery from it into this global lifestyle brand that she founded in 2016. She wrote the book Living Fully, which is linked in the show notes, and you have to read it. It is beautifully written, and it's kind of a guide to yeah, living your most vibrant life. I'm telling you, I absolutely love it. She also has the Living Fully podcast, wildly popular Instagram and YouTube, but also she has a new pajama line called In My Sundays, which I don't even think I got to talk to her about, but they are the cutest and I'm ordering a pair today. I hope you enjoy this this episode. She's so honest. She's so real and she's just a bright light and I adore her so much. So enjoy this episode. Oh, and don't forget, you guys, we have a new membership. Come and join the Sober Mom Life Cafe. We are now a part of Mighty Networks. Come and join us. Everything is in one place from the Zoom support meetings, book club. Um, You have your own cafe feed and chat where you can connect with everybody. Also, we have the Sober Mom Life community for $5.95 a month. So if the cafe, if you don't need that many Zoom support meetings, if you don't need that level of support, the community is a great way just to stay in touch and really nurture the relationships that you find in sobriety. So come and join us. We would love to have you. And don't forget, rate and review this podcast. Just share it with some friends. Spread the word, guys. Okay. Enjoy Mallory Irvin. Welcome to the Sober Thank Mom Life podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be on. So, Suzanne, I have to tell you something right off the bat. Okay. Because me, as a sober person, I have a sister who she'll go through a, oh, okay, I'm not going to drink for 60 days or 90 days or whatever. And even though she has a resource of a person that doesn't drink to talk to, yes. she doesn't talk to me. She is like, the biggest Suzanne fan what? of all of the stop. Really? She is the one that introduced me and was like, Do you know the Sober Mom? The Sober Mom podcast? She listens to it every week. Oh my God. Wait, what's your sister's name? Jade. And Jade. Uh, yeah, oh, she's kind of like Jade. you. She's like, I don't really, you know, I don't know if this is a forever thing, but like I go on and off. And so I'm sober four years. So I'm like totally. But yeah, like it can be a journey, right? And you don't have to decide all of the things. And oh, Jade, thank you. Jade Jade loves you. So I want to give a shout out to Jade (laughs) because that's the reason that like I came across your content and it's really amazing, by the way. And so, yeah, I'm grateful that she brought me to you because... That was quite the find, and I'm excited to be here today. Thank you, Jade. <laughs> well, and I have to tell you because I always pull my audience, and I'm like, okay, guys, who do you want to have on the podcast? And your name over and over and over, always. They're like Mallory Irvin, Aww. Mallory Irvin. And I was like, okay, well, we have to. And of course, I started following you, and now I'm like, oh, yeah, duh. Thank you to your audience I for know. bringing that to Suzanne's attention. That that makes me feel good. Yeah, they were matchmakers. Your sister and uh, my audience brought us yes. together. <laughs> Good combo. I know. I love it. Well, I just love your story. I'm listening to your book now, Living Fully. And, you know, I tend not to talk about rock bottom situations. And I try to highlight those 
stories that aren't rock bottom just to, because I don't think we hear them a lot and I think we need to hear them more. I love your story because it's kind of both. It's kind of both. Like you had a rock bottom moment and you talk about that, but you're also, you're saying, no, this life and the things that you learn on rock bottom is open to everybody. And it's Mm -hmm. not, you don't have to lose it all in order to live fully. Yes, that's very true. You know, if you read my book, like you see that like my beginning of my sobriety journey didn't start like your sobriety journey. Mm -hmm. I like it when things, everything is a choice. Yes. But sometimes it's a little bit of like a forced choice. (laughs) So that's what rock bottom guides you to is that, okay, we're going this direction or this direction. Like, I think it's really powerful the way that you communicate about sobriety because it is a different way of looking at it. And it's like, you're choosing a better life. You're choosing sobriety, but look at your prize at the end. Yes. It's so much better. It's so much better. Whenever yes. I entered into sobriety, and it was 10 years ago, this March, I'm kind of wow. like you though. And uh, the 10 year one is the big one. But like in the last few years, I was like, I need to count. Is it eight? Is it nine? Is right. it 10? Are we on eight? Are we on how many months? Yeah. So you were never like day counter. You were just kind of like focused on building a full life, right? But I did go to a treatment program. I have an interesting journey, and I think I can speak a lot to the rooms of AA and like traditional recovery programs, because although my journey started that way, that is not how I maintain sobriety. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh huh. And I really experienced very heavily both. And I agree with a lot of things that you say. And a lot of the sentiments around that, I don't want to call it archaic, but the older way, the only way that people used to get sober. Right. So yes, but back to your question of the the rock bottom or the, no, you know what, I'm just going to choose a better life. Yes, my journey started with a rock bottom. That's how I got sober in the beginning. But I think that the maintained sobriety for me is... I'm just choosing this way to live because it's a brighter way to live. It's a happier way to live. It's a better way to parent and lead and a healthier way to live. And that's why I really think it's very powerful people like you who are using your voice in this space that are saying, you know, you can actually do it this way. Because I think in a way, it's like a toe into the water. And so many people are so afraid that they're standing on the diving board and they're like, oh, shoot, I got to jump straight into the deep end. (laughs) Like I did. I was in the deep end. And like, you know, they hold you afloat there for a while, but then like you're still in the deep end. You know, you're like, get in the pool with me in the shallow end and then we're going to swim into the deep end. Yes, let's learn how to swim first before we go into the deep end. That's so true. I love that analogy. Well, and I love your story because like I love all the dichotomous stuff. So on the outside, you are not someone who is going to get addicted to prescription pills and then uh, go to rehab, right? Like on the outside. Mm -mm. You wouldn't have picked me. (laughs) No. Right. The pageant queen, the reality star, right? The Southern Belle. That's not going to be you, but it was. But all the moms listening to your podcast, like they didn't think it would be them either. You know? Yes. The mom of four at the play day, like with everything put together, you know, with the Stanley Exactly. (laughs) And that's why like it's so important to tell your story because you are – yeah, it, it happened to you. And it's it's not a weakness in you. It's because of all of the things that you talk about in your book. And we'll get into that. But I I love I love these stories. 
It was the best thing that ever happened to me, too, Suzanne. And it wasn't just like, oh, I went through this and it gives me a little bit of street cred and adversity and like, oh, yeah, I'll write a book. Like, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It taught me a whole new way to live. And so I didn't start drinking until I was like 21 or so or like 20, 21, 22. I can't really remember. So I lived like a whole life as the sober person at the college where everybody was drinking and not all my friends were wild too. It wasn't like I was just with the library kids, like, but I was a very joy filled person who had a lot of, you know, vibrance in my life and goals and like was really happy. And so I can remember with, with me, with my sobriety, yes, it was to save my life because I was really at rock bottom, Mm -hmm. but also it was a remembering for me that, like this is what it was like before and you don't actually need it. And like, it was truly just like you say, it was so much brighter. It was so much better before all of this started. And you know, one of the things that I do take from AA, it's one of those like AA sayings. I was in treatment for five and a half months and they were really 12 step based. And I do think there's a lot of power in the 12 steps for a lot of people. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's in the beginning of your journey, or maybe you're one of those people that just really needs a community and you aren't like Suzanne and I, and you can't just get on Instagram and then have hundreds of thousands of people that become your community. You know, there are people who need that and it really works for them. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of little nuggets that they would say in AA that I still remember. You know, they used to say, play the tape. It's like, whenever you're standing there and you're like, this is really hard. I really want this. I want to numb out this feeling or I really want to take a drink or whatever it is. And like play the tape, like what happens for you when you take that drink and how do you feel after? And like, just look at it as the whole thing. I really liked that, that they used to say, you know, in the rooms of AA. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that there's a lot, you know, I always, I I feel like I always have to say this. Like, I know I knock on AA and I don't knock on it. Like overall, like no one should go. That's definitely not what it is. But, you know, it's just like when I stopped drinking, I thought that that was the only option. And so yeah. like AA, people know it's there, right? And if it helps right. you, that's amazing. Like that's great. But yes. I just mean like, well, let's let other people know that there's other ways to do it. And that doesn't mean you're not sober enough or that you're going to – that you're doing it wrong. I agree with that. And you know what? In listening to your content and watching you like live as this type of sober mom or person, what I feel like at the bottom of it, and because it's how I feel, I think that my only knock sometimes on AA are that the principles it was built on might need a little update because I also don't like the fear-based stuff. One of the things that I hated that they said to me over and over were, if you don't come in the rooms, like you're going to relapse. And I was like, actually, no, I'm not going to. It was the fear-based stuff yeah, and the shame-based stuff I also didn't like. And I agree with you with some of the ego stuff too, yeah. because you always are like, you know what? No, like lean into your power and don't be like, I, I, I agree with some of it, but I do deter from it a little bit. But yeah. I also think as society's changed, I mean, Bill Wilson wrote The 12 Steps so long ago. So much has changed in the way that we are as human beings showing up in the world. So while a lot of it I am a fan of, truly, because I'm not going to knock it as a whole, I think that the principles that it's built on 
could be updated a little bit, especially to fit women and moms. Because right. what I love about what you share and what I talk about with sobriety is the joy that it brings and the the happier life and the new way to live. All of the positives sometimes are missing from AA. You know, they want to say, share your experience, hope, and blah, blah, blah. But I sometimes don't always feel like the hope. I feel like scared. Right. Right. I feel scared if I don't do it this way, then like that's going to happen to me and I don't want it to happen to me again. Right. And I think the way that our sobrieties are similar is that like, you know, you aren't bringing prescription pills and alcohol like that shadow into your sobriety. Right? Right. Like they're not boogeymen. We're just waiting to get you anymore. Right? Mm-mm. And that's how it feels sometimes. Even that's how a lot of other people speak in the rooms of AA. They really struggled day to day to day. And I personally did not feel, I felt liberated from it. I felt better. I felt like my spirit came alive again. I felt so much better that I felt more positive upbeat feelings around sobriety than what I kept rehearing in AA. Because in AA, every share and every person was like, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. But I also think that it's a forum to share struggle because that's why people are in those rooms. And you can connect much easier over those types of things than you can walking in a room of AA and be like, I feel fantastic. I actually don't want to drink because things are going really great for me. I mean, they'd probably be like, could you please walk out yeah. of this room. Yeah. They're like, we don't bit. want to hear it. Not here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like different AA rooms are different. And I, I want to make really clear on this, on this podcast too, that I do think that AA works for a lot of people and it was a part of my journey. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that I think AA could use a little bit of a facelift in some of the principles and in some of the ways that they keep people in the rooms. Yeah. And I think that's important, you know, with anything, we look at it, critical thinking, right? And 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 you, you have some feedback and that's okay. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. Hearing you talk about just kind of your take on sobriety and the work you've done, you know, I have to bring up the hair extensions and how that kind of led you to a pivotal moment in the recovery center, right? Yes. So I went to treatment in 2014. So when I entered into treatment, as a lot of people do, you enter into a 30-day program. A lot of people do a 30-day program, and that is the extent of their treatment, you know? And at the end of my 30 days in treatment, first off, I got to treatment, and I was like, I've never done an illegal drug in, in my life. I don't have an issue. I knew there was something like really, really wrong with me and that I was going to die, but I, Mm -hmm. for some reason, didn't really like point to the, that it was, you know, prescription medication and alcohol. Like a lot of us don't. But it was your parents too, right? Like you weren't, okay. Cause I, I also like to normalize this going to treatment, like normalize it as, as not a horrible thing, like as a thing that will save your life and, and can be very big. I know a lot of people don't have access to it or it's harder to get there or they don't have the 30 days. I was at a time in my life where I was single. I didn't have children. My work was very like up in the air. So it was a very easy facilitation of me entering into a treatment center. Then I really recognize a lot of moms listening to your podcast thinking about what if I had to go to treatment now? I would honestly probably choose not to go unless it was dire because how would you leave your children? And like, it's just hard. 
Right. And then what if you don't go? Like, are you going to leave your children a different way? And are you right? Yes. Yes. So I do think that treatment is a really good tool for the right situations. So 10 years ago for me, it was the right play. Yeah. Cause it was your, it was your family, right? It was your parents. Yes. It was. Who said, uh-huh. And and still then you were like, mm, no. Right. So I had, you know, I'd done Miss America and then I'd done the amazing race, two seasons of the amazing race. That was 2010, 2011, 2012. I didn't uh season in I think 2013. So, you know, I'd been doing all these great things and these, you know, achieving my goals and everything was going well. And then as things happen, it doesn't always start alcoholically or addictively. Like it just kind of becomes that. And that was kind of my journey. And I lived in a different city than my family did. So nobody really saw an issue. So mine was also like yours gray there for a while, at least from a public perception. Yeah. And then there was this incident that happened. It had gotten really bad for me. And, you know, part of my journey too was prescription medication. So I was heavily addicted to Adderall and Ambien. So there was this event that I was hosting that my family witnessed me hosting. And like, I was just out of control, apparently, Mm. and just not myself. And everything was falling apart. And from what they could see, something was drastically wrong. Now, here's what I want to also call out in my story, because I think it's a lot of other people's journeys too with sobriety and recovery or whatever you want to call it. There was no one in my family that had ever been to a treatment program that ever called themselves an alcoholic, that had ever gone to an AA meeting. And I have a humongous family. You have like 20 something cousins, right? Yes. First cousins. Uh That we all grew up together. Wow. So we didn't have the experience in that world, but they knew there was something terribly wrong. Mm. And so my mom was the one, my dad was kind of like a little bit more of my enabler and he believed in me and he saw me being able to be such a high achiever and do all these things through what it was clear I was doing. Well, and you did the amazing race with him, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that was like probably very cool. He was like, no, this is great. We're just, right? Well, we're really close to. So he just, you know, I I was doing things that didn't look like I was at rock bottom, even though I kind of, so, you know, whenever I entered into treatment, it was really my mom pushing because she kind of had exhausted all like, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And they had Googled it. And I had an aunt who was a nurse and was like, this is where she needs to go. Like she has a problem. She's an addiction problem. There's an issue here. And so when I went to the place that I went, I went to a place in Pennsylvania called Karen and I highly recommend it. Yes. It oh my gosh. This is amazing because one of our members and, and leaders in our group also went there. It's a great place. I had a really great experience there. But when we went, the day that we went, I was so in denial and I thought they were going to take my, you know, as soon as you go there, they take your blood and they see kind of what's going on with you because you're not going to show up as an addict or an alcoholic and be like, these are the things that I'm taking this many milligrams. Here's the truth. <laughs> So I was like, they're going to take my blood and they're going to send me back with my parents because like, I don't do anything. I don't, you know? So you were still like, yeah, like, no, this isn't for me. Yeah. And so when I went back there to have them, you know, do all the things that they do, my parents left, of course, because they told them, you know, she's staying with us. You know, my mom still says like when they got in the car, she was like, 
oh, like a sigh of relief. And she said, I feel so much better. Like, I feel like she's in the right hands. And my dad was like, I, well, I feel like I just abandoned my child oh. because they still, you know, to that extent felt so different about it. Yeah. And I'm very grateful that I had someone step in in my life because as a young person, I think it's really hard to make this decision because as a young person, especially without a spouse or children around you, you kind of feel like you're invincible and you kind of can get away with it a little bit longer. And I don't think I would have ended up in a place and I, I don't think I'd be here today. I think I would have died in active addiction mm. probably within the next few months. Mm. And so I'm very grateful for being pushed into a program like that because it changed my life. It got me so it saved my life, then it changed my life. So at the mm. end of the 30 day program, you sit down with your counselor and your parents or your spouse, whoever sent you into the <laughs> jail in the first place. <laughs> they give the recommendation. So some people will leave. Some people will go to sober living. Some people they recommend for like extended care. You know, those were the cases that like really needed major help. And they recommended me for extended care. <laughs> did you think you were get did you think you no. were done? I thought I was the best one there. I thought I was like the Okay, shiniest. this is your perfectionist thing, right? You were like, I am going to nail yeah. this treatment center. I'm gonna be the best yeah. patient ever. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, You need more. I was the queen of rehab, 100%. I could totally, I could, yeah, yes, I could see yeah. that. They'll let you be the queen of rehab for a little while. They'll use that in your recovery against you, yeah. but it helps, you know? Yeah. When I was in treatment, my third season of Amazing Race was airing live on TV. Oh my God. And they don't like you to say who you are, what you did, and all these things. But of course, it comes out because people talk. And so when they let us turn on the TV on Sunday nights, I was actively on the TV. Oh, man. I mean, so I just felt like I was going to have this stint and it was going to save my life. And then I would get out and it would be fine. I thought, like, either I'll go one direction where I'll really I'll write a book and I'll do all these things and it will be awesome. Or I thought <laughs> I'd go the other direction, which is I'll never tell anyone and no one will know and I'll be fine. And nobody noticed what happened to me. Yeah, that's fine. No one no one looked back there. Yeah. So um, when they recommended that extended care, I mean, I was kicking and screaming. Mm. And I ended up at Karen for five and a half months of wow. my life in 2014. But that is where I did the major work. Because as your community knows, and as you know, because you talk about it all the time, it is certainly not just, oh, I decided to pick up this wine and I love the taste. Right. It just, I was just thirsty. I was just <laughs> thirsty. <laughs> yeah. I was just thirsty, you guys. No. Every day. You don't drink because you're thirsty. No, you drink because there's something mm-hmm. going on that you don't want to deal with, that you don't want to feel. It's just too much. And it's a really easy out for a long time. Right. Until it like totally numbs you to all the good in your life or destroys your life like it did to me. And so that's where I overhauled my whole life. And, you know, I'd been a leader and a perfectionist and all of these things that weren't detrimental to me for a long time. They served you well. They served me well. It was who I was. Yeah. And those things turned on me when they became involved with substances. And they became the things that like almost took my life. So I got to the bottom of all of that. And when I left 
that program, I felt like the most grounded, amazing, clear-headed version of myself that I'd ever felt in my entire life. And they did some crazy things with me too. Really? Like, like what? <laughs> you know, they could realize I was very attached to like the way that I looked. And- okay. This is where the hair extensions come in, right? Yes. And like, so one day, and I opened my book with this. So you guys, if you don't know what Suzanne's talking about, <laughs> okay, like sorry, moving spoiled it. you have to read the whole book, you guys. So like once you had been there for a while, you could get these like little field trips and you could go and go off campus and like do these things. Okay. So they were going to let me get my hair done. I had extensions for 10 years in my hair, permanent extensions. These are like not permanent. I could pull the whole thing out right now. So I have not had anything taped or bonded or glued into my head for 10 years because of this like traumatic experience. For 10 years, I'd had these long blonde extensions or you know, they were different colors at different points in times, great lengths and like these right. and all these things. And I would go in the middle of the night basically, or like when the salon had closed and I would get them and I would never go one day without them. Yeah. Yeah. You said sometimes you spent like 11 hours at the salon yeah, getting oh my ever. That's dedication. Ba- yeah. Back in the day, those extensions were, it was a big thing. Yeah. I had never gone without this hair. And so they said, we're going to go let you, where you're going to go to your hair appointment. Cause I also had blonde hair and it was growing my, I'm obviously not a natural blonde, my dark hair, I had these dark roots and I was just like kind of physically falling apart. And I was like, awesome. My hair appointment. Great. I didn't really think through the fact that they weren't going to let me get a full head of extensions, like at the treatment center in Warnersburg, <laughs> Pennsylvania. So I guess I thought, you know, delusionally that I was going to walk in there and walk out looking like a movie star, but <laughs> not what happened. So really long story, really short, they took my hair extensions out and they had me turned um, with my back towards, like, I didn't see this as it was going on. So they were taking out these hair extensions, taking them out and it took, you know, an hour and a half or so to take these hair extensions out. And when she took you know, the very last ones out and she kind of like combed through my hair that was like two inches long and like straggly and just gross. She turned my chair around and I looked in the (gasps) mirror and I had like, I think it's the only time in my whole life I've had like an actual out of body experience and I had like an out of body experience. (laughs) And I had like a nervous breakdown, like my life flashed before my eyes. It's actually funny to me looking back that this hair extension fiasco facilitated this for me, but it goes to show how attached I was to remaining the person I was, how attached I was to my appearance, how that shifted my whole world when they took that hair out. And then they colored my hair and it was like orange and white. It like, I looked oh, terrible. No. Oh no. <laughs> so I went back to the place and like, I'd always been like, you know, the shiny queen of rehab, even when I was going through really hard stuff in the beginning, because I was detoxing and going through and being very vulnerable. And there was a lot of hard work I did in the first 30 days, but it was like something snapped in me and they knew that was going to snap. And they were like, here's where the walls will come down with her. Yes. And here's where she will get to the bottom of why she has been you know, drinking alcoholically or using addictively or whatever terms you want to use. So I showed back up at the place and I walked in and I was like, I know you think you're professionals here and that you think you know what you're doing. But I said, you don't know what you're doing with me because now I want to do real drugs. And now I don't care about my life. And now like, I feel like the ugliest, grossest, most terrible version of myself. And I've never felt like that about myself, like in my life, like to this extent. Yeah. And they 
really helped me through this. And I honestly think that was one of the big pivotal moments in my journey because that was one of the big pain points to why I was doing what I was doing. Yeah. And, you know, there was another thing that happened that was similar to that. I'm a singer and I was singing on Sunday at these services that they have at Karen. So it allowed me to still like set myself apart a little bit and feel like even though I ended up here and my life fell apart, I still have something like special to offer. And like, I still want you guys to see me as this version of me, even just a little bit. And they took that away from me. Mm -hmm. And that was another, like that was, that was the second of the two things that really, I did some really deep work around. At first I felt a little bit guilty that this was the thing that facilitated the change because I was like hearing all these stories about severe childhood trauma and about, you know, people that had really, their rock bottoms looked a lot different than mine. And I was like, how frivolous and like silly for me to be attached to the way that I look or the way that other people perceive me or trying to feel special still, like even though I was going through this. However, that was my journey. And those things felt that bad to me. And when I think of your listener, I think that that's probably a part of her journey as well, more so than the people in the dark church basements, like you try to say that have endured. I have such a heart for a lot of the stories that I hear in the rooms of AA and the things that I heard at treatment. But if you are a woman who is I'm somewhere in my life that I didn't thought I would be, and I thought it would be better than this. And like, it helps me a little bit when I numb it out with wine, but I also feel like I'm numbing out all the good stuff. Her things that are driving her to feel that way might be really similar to the things that I felt. And that's okay. That's okay. And it just, you know, it makes so much sense when when our worth and attention and love could feel like it's tied up in what we do, how we look. And I mean, I've like, yeah, as a beauty queen, a pageant queen, right? Like that just makes so much sense that it's like, and then it becomes the shield maybe of yeah. as long as I'm performing and, and this could be as a mom, right? As long as my kids are fine, they're fed, they're taken care of, like I can just keep going, keep going, keep performing, but at the cost of what? Your life. Your life. Yeah, your life at the cost of your life. Yeah. Like you can be dead while living, (laughs) I really believe. And also like I like the word that you just use. You use this thing as a shield, but like I call it also like a shiny object because yes, it's a shield. You don't want people to see you, but it's also flashy and shiny and pretty. Look at my kids. They're doing great. Right. And like just don't look too close, okay? Like don't look at what's underneath. Like don't ask me like – Right. Like don't don't dig too deep. And that's where I do think that – yeah, that's where wine comes in handy. It's like, yeah, then we don't have to figure out how we're feeling, what we need. Or prescription pills, right? Have you read Laura Cathcart Robbins' book, um, Mm -hmm. Stash? Oh, you have to because she she was addicted to Ambien too. Ambien does the same thing that wine or the alcohol does for people, but it does it really quick. Okay. It kind of numbs it out and makes you – and like when things get really out of control, you can't wait to sleep. You can't wait to go because that's the only time that it all stops. Yeah. So I think that that's why – that was like my kind of last drug of choice 
So it, it got its way to there. But it, if I had to pick a favorite, it probably would have been my favorite because you can just exit with it. But it is the one that got out of control the fastest. And isn't that crazy that that is just so normalized? Like you just take an so Ambien to sleep. And, and, yeah. and right, like hiding behind the prescription pill thing. Like, well, this yeah. is fine. Like this is obviously. because well, my name's on the bottle. Yeah. Right. And somebody gave it to me that was a professional. Right. I knew internally that like the amount that I was taking was not right. I knew that like whenever I ran out too soon, I had to go to a different doctor. That was not right. There were parts of it that even though it was a legal prescription substance, I was doing not completely like I was supposed to, obviously, especially at the end. I was probably taking like 300 milligrams a day. It was I was out of control. Mm. But, you know, all that being said, with my journey and the part that's so encouraging Sobriety does two things. Sobriety, like when you decide to stop drinking, I think I always say it in a way of like your spirit comes alive again. Mm. But as your spirit is coming alive again and as you like feel yourself and like joy not chemically manufactured, you start to feel also the other things that come along with that. Yeah. The things that you were numbing out. Right. So you have to be okay with those things coming up too. But I'm here to tell you, just like you're here to tell people, that the other side and the journey to the joy that you will feel in sobriety is way, 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 way better than the life where you're just numbing out the bad things and you kind of feel okay. There is absolutely no comparison to the other side. Oh, None. That's why I love you said in your book, and I even wrote down a couple things because I was like, oh my God, I love this. Because... While your story involves a rock bottom, your book isn't for people who just have no. rock bottom. Like this is not – and you guys, let me tell you, this is not a fluff book. Well, thanks. That means a lot coming from you. Oh, my God. It's just so not. You know, I'm, I'm, I always bristle up against like rainbows and unicorns, right, in sobriety. And this is not that, mm-hmm. okay? Like Mallory is not – she's legit. She's the real deal. Thank you. You're also a beautiful <laughs> writer. Oh, thank you. Yes, but you said it's for anyone who's on cruise control and just just kind of like going about their day, but you want more and you think there might be more, yeah. right? And like if you feel stuck and fear is getting in the way of maybe something that could be bigger, but you also say like bigger doesn't mean you you did the big stuff before you got sober, right? So bigger mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're going to go on the amazing race or win a win a beauty pageant, right? You know that kind of big stuff. And then where did it lead you, right? That's not what you mean by the big stuff. Right. I mean, I wrote a chapter called Ordinary Joy. I wrote a chapter called Living in Legacy Mode. I wrote all of these chapters. I only write about rock bottom is only the very beginning of the book and the one part of my story because getting sober led me to living fully. And then I wrote the whole book about living fully. Yes. But I would not have gotten to that had I not gone through a journey in recovery. So that is why there are so many elements of sobriety in the book, but it's very similar to your sentiment about sobriety, that like this unlocked all of this other stuff. And, you know, I like I've liked several things that you've said, and I want to go back to one thing that you said while ago was, you know, the mom that thinks, well, everybody in my family is okay, and my kids are fine, and my husband's fine, so, like, let's just all hold still, and, like, this is okay. Yeah. And I speak a lot to that woman in the book, 
because I always say, and I've probably said it too many times, but that the absence of bad is not a qualifier for a good life. Yes. And I think so many moms think the absence of bad makes their life good. And it's just not like that. Life can be so much richer and and more joy-filled and just a whole different thing than what you're living now. And I talk about like what you were saying while I go too with the person that's not at rock bottom, because mm-hmm. I think that the person that's not at rock bottom, it's way harder for that person to change and to choose sobriety. Yes. So I talk a lot to that person because if there's not the red flag and like the flashing red light, like you say about yourself, and then it's really hard because people are like, you're fine. You're fine. Right. Exactly. Like you're fine. That. There's nothing to see. Even our partners could say that, right? Yeah. Like our husbands could be like, no, no, no. It's like, you're fine. You're overreacting. A hundred percent. It's not that big of a deal. All of this stuff. But then you have that little voice inside being like, oh, feel like there's more. And you have to be the one to choose to make the change because nobody like sends you into things. Nobody gives you an ultimatum. Nobody puts a boundary. You are the one that has to go in and that listens to that voice inside of your head and says, you know what? I'm going to do this despite the fact that everything's okay. Despite the fact that it actually might shake things up and make things a little wild for a while, like in my family. Right. Yes. But I'm going to choose another way to live. That's the hardest place, I think, to change from. I think rock bottom, that's solid ground. You know, rock bottom, okay, all you got to go is up. But when you're kind of in the middle and you're the women that listen to you and follow you, it's really hard to change. So that's why I like seeing a bright and shiny example of this type of sobriety, which is you, because there aren't very many examples of that type of sobriety. And although my journey into sobriety started the old way, I'm very much of Camp Suzanne and this version of sobriety. I choose this way to live because I want to live a bigger life. Sobriety is a facilitator of that to me because when you numb out the bad, you numb out the good. I cannot say that enough. Like if there were three things from AA that I were going to get tattooed on my arm or that I learned in recovery, this is something that is like across all versions of recovery, when you numb out the bad, you numb out the good. And I think that that is what prescription medication, aside from the people that actually need prescription medication, I also want to make that clear that I think there are some medical conditions where people need these things. I did not need them. Right. I did not need them. Yeah. So I think that, A, if you feel like a voice within you being like, I don't feel right about the way that my life is. I don't feel right about the mother that I am and about my household and about the things that are going on around me. And you are a person that is drinking a lot or like using some sort of substance, I would encourage you to look at that. And I would encourage you to maybe take a few weeks and see if you can remove that from your life. See how things go. Because I promise you, when you tip the scales, you're going to feel it and you're going to then become hooked on that and addicted to that. Yes. You're going to want more of that than you did all of the other things that you used. Well, and even just the process of removing something from your life could be just a little like, you know, a little pink flag going like, oh, if I set out to do this two weeks without alcohol, but I made it three days, that's a little flag going, oh, there is actually some addiction at play here. It's not yeah. Nicolas Cage level. It's not Meg Ryan when a man loves a woman, right? Because that's what we've been taught just to wait till it gets to that. But if there's something that you, you're you kind of unable or haven't been able to go an extended time without, that's something to look at. 
It is. You know, they used to say like in recovery terms, they used to always say, but like when you get out of treatment, ask the people that you live with, like, can we not keep alcohol in our house? Or could you not have a drink at dinner? Like in the beginning, especially when you're kind of having a tough time with it. And while I don't believe this is completely true, I do believe it's something to look at. They used to say the people that say no to you are the people who also have an issue. And I think about that. And I honestly think there's some truth to that. Yeah. If someone that they love really needs them to, and they say, no, no. you know, we're not supposed to judge other people, but it's like, no, but it's, <laughs> really? it's also a, yes, it's also a good reminder that anybody's reaction to your sobriety or your not drinking is all about their relationship. Like if they yes. can't fathom, right. And they're like, what? You quit. Like if it wasn't a rock bottom situation and you're deciding to quit and say like, no, 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 I'm just, I don't think I'm ever drinking again. If they can't Mm -hmm. fathom that, I mean, that's all about their relationship. Yeah. And and it's their thing. And like, you know, whether they want to take that step in their journey is their thing or not. And like now I'm totally fine you know, I'm 10 years into recovery and I don't care that there's alcohol in my house and my husband can drink at dinner. And like, I don't, but like in the very beginning, I do see where it's helpful to remove that from your vicinity, especially like if you're a person that is like a lot of your listeners, that's like, I'm just going to try this out. I'm going to be like the gray area. I'm going to dip my toe into the water. Like I want a better life. I want to like feel alive again. I want to take this out. Get it out of your house. Yeah. I mean, that's how I think about now with sugar. <laughs> I'm just like, if oh it's there. God. We could do a whole podcast on that. Oh, let's. Okay. <laughs> because oh, it's like. that is my now, addiction right now. I'm in too. active addiction with sugar. Same. <laughs> I will stand up and I will say, okay, no, literally. And I do count days. It's been like 15 days. And I'm not like, and I'm not a monster cutting out like ketchup or anything. I'm just talking about like candy and baked goods, like a child. Like yeah. I haven't, okay, I'd spend 15 days. I eat nerd gummy clusters and cookie dough <sighs> blizzards. And like, <sighs> I, I know, I understand. I, I'm triggered. I understand. <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> it's a cross addiction. It's I totally know. cross addiction. I know. And I'm always like, no, it's fine. Like, I'm not going to get a DUI from, you know, damn M&Ms. But like, it's a thing that I have to talk to myself about and say, this is going to make you feel sick. You are going to eat this until you feel sick. You're not going to have a one bite of a chocolate chip cookie and be like, oh, I'm satisfied. You're going to have like four and then you're going to say, I feel so sick. And then it's a shame spiral. So it's It's because we have addictive personalities. And it is totally. And I'm going to add in another even like an, because I've been, I was talking to, I've been through all these journeys with like sugar too, because I also have severe gestational diabetes where I was on insulin and I'm like pre-diabetic and I have issues with blood sugar. And so it feels very much like drugs and alcohol did to me in that I know I'm going to die if I I keep doing this. And you can't stop. I know. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. And I'm like live in the flesh on that journey with you. And I even told my nutritionist that like helped me that I keep on trying to start back and trying to start back and trying to start back. (laughs) I said, this feels addictive to me. This feels the same as when I was drinking and taking pills. I cannot stop. I feel like an out of control animal with sugar. Like I cannot say no. And I feel like 
I just cannot control myself. And that is exactly, it's a reminder to me of what it felt to be an active addiction, how I, my relationship with sugar. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it is hard because like you said, changing from a place that it's not rock bottom, like what's rock bottom with sugar? Is rock bottom for me not being on insulin, like pregnant and being like, I I just want to buy the chocolate so bad. Like, and I know it's going to send me into a blood sugar thing and it's going to be really bad for me. That feels like rock bottom to me, but like, I I just, but but you know what it is for me too with sobriety was the same thing. And that's why I will not take those medications again. I will never drink again. Like I have to stay sober for my whole life because I am such an all or nothing person. And I think that NAA and like a lot of people, whatever version of recovery you're in, they want to say like, oh, it's, it's like one day at a time. Mm -mm. And like, I'm just going to, you know, I can't say it that way because it stresses me out, but I'm like, I have to say it that way because I have to hold myself accountable and no one can predict the future. You never know what's going to happen in your life, but I have to say that that is my goal to be sober forever, to never have another drink, because like, I know the alternative for me is it ain't good. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm all or nothing. And sugar is hard because like, I cannot say, I can't say I'll never eat sugar. I can't, I can't say I'll never eat sugar again. They always say like people that eating disorders and those types of addictive things are the hardest things because with alcohol or drugs, you can completely shut it off right. and just get it out of your house. But with eating, you have to eat. Right. So it's like they say with alcohol and drugs, you can take the monster and put it in the closet. Yeah, you know it's in the closet and like, but you don't have to look at it. Let's keep it in the closet. But they say with things like that, like eating disorders and stuff, you have to go in, you have to get that monster out of the closet. You have to sit down with that monster and you have to eat with that monster. You have to put that monster back in the closet. Like that monster is still such a part totally. of your everyday life. So it makes it harder. So I feel like for me, that is what those other types of addictions that I know are not good in my life. I know sugar is like destroying my health when I eat it like to that extent. But it's hard for me because I can't be I can't get sober from it. <laughs> Yes, I know. Okay. And for my like never, like I look at never drinking again. Like I know I'll never smoke a cigarette again because I, it's horrible and I, you know, I see it as poison and toxic. I always say I'm sober for good. And so that's like, yeah, it's for good. I love that. Sober for good. It's such embodies like what sobriety looks like as a person for the good of you, for the good of your family, for the good of your husband, for the good of your community. Yes. Everything. And it's for good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I am not, I am not sugar free for good. I am <laughs> white knuckling through those 15 days. I can't tell you. And I'll it'll it'll constantly be like, I'm like, okay, yes, like I know four o'clock is like my time. And I'm like, no, you can do this. Like let everything that I tell people about alcohol, I'm like applying to sugar. And I'm like, who can I reach out to? I need, I need help. <laughs> Who's my sponsor? Who's my sugar sponsor? Actually, no, we can't be each other's sugar sponsors because we we drown each other in the deep. I'm going to contact you when I'm like, Mallory, can you just tell me to do this? Because it sounds really good right now. I'd be like, let's do it. Oh, my gosh. It's so terrible. Whenever I see myself, like, I think that there, you know, there are so many, there are so many times in our lives in our journeys in recovery or like stopping drinking or like just trying to find a better life, whatever you want to call it, that 
it's really like front and center and you can really see the obvious of what's going on, but you just don't want to face it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. I love your story. Your like hair extension story was you like maybe nursing the baby yes. after that party. And I think that's such a powerful story because while parts of your story are like really funny and like it was a pot party and you're like, I don't even right. like, you know, and it was, they were filling your champagne over and over and your husband's like, yeah, right. Like right. you were like, no, actually this is really serious and really yeah, bad. Like this really, I don't, I think this is really bad. Like this, this is, is my, really this bad. is enough for me. Yeah. This is enough for me. I yeah, like, like how you only just we that. can say that, right? Like we were yeah. talking about before, like no one else can tell you when it's enough. Like you, you know. Yes. And like to come to the point of choosing sobriety as just the person choosing sobriety, not the person getting kicked into the rehab, you have to come to the point where the discomfort or the facing the reality that it is what it is, and you can notice that you have to come to that point because you are the one that is choosing this better life. And like, those are the only tools that you have to your at your disposal to begin this journey. That is your rehab. Your rehab yeah. is the is that conversation in your head with yourself. Like those things though are so emotionally powerful that it can really motivate you to make a change. But motivation mm-hmm. can only take you so far. Then it's like totally. the grit and the discipline and it's the like hard the work. It's like the decision. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then once you see the glimmers of hope, I think that yes. is really powerful. And like sometimes it takes a few weeks to get to the place where you're seeing the light again. And yeah. like I just I hope and pray always, especially for someone that's trying to dip their toe into a journey of sobriety on their own. I hope they see the light fast. I hope they feel themselves come alive quickly. I hope their husband or their children come up to them and is like, mom, like you've been a really great mom, or I can really see a difference in you. I wish that for that person. And if you're a person that's on this journey and nobody said that to you, really take a moment right now to like look at yourself because you can probably see it in yourself. Even if nobody's noticed it yet on the outside, like just keep going. Like what's on the other side is so much better than that wine. It's so much better. Doesn't even come close. Right. I adore you. I I love well, our conversation. I adore you too. Now I'm a fan. I'm such a fan of you. Tell everybody, you know, I, I know they know where to find you because they told me to find you. But tell <laughs> tell everybody where they can. Yes, you can find me on like normal, all the social medias and everything. Just my name, Mallory Irvin. At Mallory Irvin is my Instagram and MalloryIrvin.com is my website. But like, you know, on my Instagram, you can find where I've got a brand called Living Fully Co. where we do like holiday sweatshirts and kind of motivational things on sweatshirts. And I've got two books. I've got a podcast. I've got a new pajama line, like all of these things, you know, that I have thanks to my life and sobriety. <laughs> I know you're doing so much. And, and it's all just like, you're you're such a bright light and, and so motivating and inspiring and just so beautiful. Well, thank you. Well, I also, I want to say I really appreciate you shining a light on sobriety in such a positive, vibrant, bright way, because I bet you have given so many women a whole new life. And I know that you know that. It's why you do what you do. But I think it is so amazing what you do and the way that you do it. So as a person that's in recovery, that's obsessed with like everybody being able to get rid of these things in their life. Thank you. Oh, that means so much to me. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.